You already know what time it is. Welcome back into the NFL with AJL, episode 38. We are live, locked, and loaded with a packed show on a Friday night. You could have been anywhere else in the world, but you chose this podcast. And you know, I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Before we get started, please make sure to like the stream, share the show wherever you're watching, subscribe on YouTube, get at us on social media, and all podcast platforms as always the qr code in the corner of the screen is your one-stop shop for everything social media and podcast related at the nfl with ajl on all social media platforms y'all are holding it down over there on social for me holding it down on the podcast episodes see already know i appreciate you guys hope everyone had a blessed labor day hope everyone was safe we got 9 11 coming up as well so 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 some important uh holidays of course coming around but hope it's been a good week Hope you're coming into an awesome weekend. Hope you enjoyed the NFL kickoff game last night as the Lions did upset the Chiefs. And like I said, we got a packed show. Not only did the Lions upset the Chiefs in the opener, Joe Burrow and Nick Bosa both signed historic deals. Sean Payton is calling out Russell Wilson, which is really nothing new. That's who the coach is. Caleb Williams' dad said that Caleb could play a fourth year in college. Chandler Jones is not playing in week one with the Raiders, and we are picking every NFL week one game Plus the return, you probably thought I forgot about it, of the Hudak Corner, where I, the NFL with AJL, a diehard Saints fan, gets into all the recent things from the New Orleans Saints. We'll have the Saints-Titans preview. We'll talk about how Michael Thomas's body apparently rejected some surgeries, as well as we know he's been injury-riddled. You guys go ahead, get in the chat, get in the comments, let me know how you're feeling about tonight's show, how you're feeling about the NFL season. A little bit of a different setup here. We got some natural light in the background, but I hope it looks good, sounds good. As always, get in the chat. You guys let me know. I wasn't able to see the Facebook comments last week. Um, and when I got back onto my personal account, I saw that you guys were leaving some comments over there. So my apologies if I wasn't able to see that. But again, let's go ahead and jump right into the show as the Lions upset the Chiefs and maybe a little bit of a stalemate to open up the uh the NFL season, definitely a game that I thought was going to be a shootout. But once the game started to play out, I was like, whoa, take way under on this um, and obviously take way under on Patrick Mahomes' passing yards. A lot of the shootout aspects that we thought this game was going to have, it simply just didn't play out that way. And really, the closer we got to this game, the more I wanted to pick Detroit. They got the revamped roster, the defense, all of the hype around them. You have no Chris Jones, no Travis Kelsey. We hear about right before the game. They're on the road. And even against the number one offense, the champs, the MVP, the Super Bowl MVP, the best coach, they upset Kansas City on the road. And let's just go ahead and get kind of the dirtiness out of the way. We got to leave it up to the NFL, right, to allow false starts multiple times throughout this game with Jawan Taylor. And for everyone kind of wondering why people are talking about that, when he was lining up a couple yards behind uh, the line of scrimmage, it was giving an unfair advantage or unfair disadvantage to the defensive lineman because they have to run further to get to the point of attack in a block. Just to call it at the very end for the false start on Jawan Taylor from the Super Bowl to the season opener, it just never fails with the refs, right? And of course, maybe me as Saints fans saying that, but just be realistic and look at how the officiating has played out year over year over year in the league. I remember right as the uh, game was about to come on, I was just talking about the refs um, with my lady, and I was like, I, I hope they're not horrible this year like they've been before. But turns out that uh, maybe nothing has changed, but nothing horrible, horrible, right, like we've seen in the past with um with NFL officiating. Of course, the big story of the game was Travis Kelsey. We hear about him on Tuesday at about 2.30 in the afternoon. The report breaks. He hyperextends his knee. Um, he got up by himself, walked off the field in practice, which was good. They were going to retest it Wednesday to see if he was good to go Thursday. Clearly, he was not. 
Um, and so they had no Travis Kelsey walking into this game, and people were wondering, does Andy Reid, who is great on opening day, does Patrick Mahomes, who is great on opening day, the Chiefs, who are good on opening day since I think 20, 2004, 2008, somewhere around there, um, you know, how were they going to be with their realistically second best player, their second best offensive player outside of Patrick Mahomes and really his favorite target, that security blanket that we always know quarterbacks have um, in a tight end. But let's also keep it in context as well before we actually get into the Travis Kelsey part. This was a drop pass that was turned into a pick six and then their second and arguably third best player were missing in this game, speaking of the Kansas City Chiefs, and they still only lost by one at home. The Chiefs offense outscored Detroit's offense, and the Chiefs defense held Detroit's offense to just 14 points per game. I feel like if you would have told Andy Reid or would have asked any of us, hey, the Chiefs defense is going to hold that elite top five Lions offense that we saw ending the season last year, who's even more comfortable now, who have a really clean offensive line. Going to get into that a little bit later in the show. Um, Jared Goff was virtually untouchable. He was very, very protected last night in the pocket. If you would have told the Chiefs defense so that they were going to hold that elite Lions offense to 14, they probably would have told you that they were going to win the game comfortably. But when you saw Travis Kelsey going in again, missing this game, it absolutely showed. Patrick Mahomes had seven completions to seven different receivers. Kadarius Toney had three drops. It's And Kadarius Toney's never a guy that I really believed in a whole lot. I thought he was a reach in the NFL draft when he was taken by the Giants. I know he had literally the longest Super Bowl punt return in NFL history to now not even being able to catch a pass and ultimately that turning into a pick six, which was very costly. Uh, Brian Branch, of course, the rookie out of Alabama, clearly the best safety in the draft, making the play a sockless rookie Brian Branch at that. And, and that's a fine in the NFL, by the way. I wonder uh, what the league said to him after that game. But the rookie Sky Moore had a drop. Jarrett McKinnon, the running back, had a drop as well. And you have the Chiefs out here doing things with the offense, like Kadarius Tony losing yards on a jet sweep on a second and one, which turned that potential touchdown drive into a field goal. You have Rasheed Rice losing yardage later on in the game after getting a handoff from a direct snap to Blake Bell, which that kind of feels like that play was pulled specifically out of the Travis Kelsey you know, um, really like the Travis Kelsey package that the Chiefs and Andy Reid had put together on a third and one reverse, turning a first down into a punt. Speaking of that uh, direct snap to to Blake Bell, hands it off to Rasheed Rice. It's a reverse on third and one. What could have been a potential first down turns into a punt. And then to go for it on fourth and 20, this was when it kind of stuck out to me because I'm like, damn, Andy Reid, like, I get it. You're ballsy. You go for it on fourth. You, you, you can convert, you know. Um, things are you know, kind of working out for you well, or at least they usually do when you when you do go for it on fourth down. For him to go for it on fourth and 20 on his own 35, two minutes left, and three timeouts left, and I'll give it to Mahomes, right? He put it in the receiver's hands, scrambled out to the right, broke the pocket, threw a nice dot over the middle of the field deep, probably about a 22-yard completion it looked like, and the receiver dropped it. I can't remember who that was. Maybe it was Kadarius Tony, but nonetheless, it was a drop. Mahomes was 21 for 39 in this game as well, so a roughly 50% completion. If those five drops are caught, Patrick Mahomes is back up to his usual 67% completion. So I believe if the Chiefs win this game with 67% completion, 226 yards, and a couple touchdowns and a pick from Mahomes, we're not nearly looking at it as bad as we do from, of course, a losing standpoint. But even Andy Creed's creativity was very weird. And at one point, he literally took the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands, the best player in the NFL, the best quarterback in the NFL, the sixth best quarterback of all time, two-time MVP, coming off of the Super Bowl championship, Super Bowl MVP. 
that's when I knew it was a little different for Andy Reid. Maybe Andy Reid was like, ooh, I don't know if I've been here before, at least in this situation with Patrick Mahomes, because, and it's going back to that direct snap to Blake Bell, handoff to Rasheed Rice. Very weird, very, very weird to take the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands on a, a really a crucial third, crucial late third down at that. Uh, so just you know, speaking on the offense there a little bit, but now on into the defensive side of the ball, or really Chris Jones's uh, Chris Jones's absence. Um, it definitely looked to be felt. Just one sack from Kansas City, and like I said, Jared Goff had a clean pocket, really nice pocket most of the night, mistake free football. So that clearly reflected in his play. And to sit here and had. A good offensive line for Jared Goff, that Jared Goff was comfortable in a Detroit Lions pocket. That feels kind of weird to say. Um, and that just goes back to this entire NFL season is going to be amazing. We're going to have so many teams come out of the woodworks that we probably weren't expecting. Y'all are flipping the hell out about my power rankings, which I'm not trying to have hot takes. That's just who I genuinely think are going to be the top 15 teams in the NFL. Now let's transition over to the Detroit Lions here. And look, their defense on paper coming into this game. The way they played, they really have that potential to perform with a C.J. Gardner-Johnson, with a Jack Campbell, with a Brian Branch, with an Aiden Hutchinson. Um, and God, just sit here and think, what if they would have taken Jalen Carter or Nolan Smith over a Jack Campbell? My God, the Lions defense would be absolutely insane. You got um, Alex Anzalone. I even forgot to mention Cam Sutton as well. Uh, and Aiden Hutchinson balled the hell out. Six pressures, which was a career high for him. Three quarterback hits in the backfield, and he was through that line a ton. I feel like every other play, realistically, or every few plays, Aiden Hutchinson was back there. We saw Mahomes running around it. Kind of gave you that feel of when the Chiefs went to the Super Bowl against the Bucs, but just didn't have an O-line at all. Um, but nonetheless, Mahomes is still able to have a way better game than he did in that Super Bowl. I liked what I saw from David Montgomery as well. His workload was very nice. You can tell they're still trying to understand where Jameer Gibbs is going to fit in and really what type of package he's really going to be in. But you saw he can clearly be a problem. He's got the breakaway speed. Um, nine total touches for 62 yards in terms of Jameer Gibbs. And then David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs combined for 26 yards, uh, excuse me, 28 carries, 116 yards, one touchdown. And I'm telling you guys, Jameer Gibbs is literally going to be like that boy right there, number 41 on the jersey that I just added to the backdrop. You guys already know. You've seen it. you already seen the Saints hat here tapped in. You already know we're talking Saints at the end of the show. Look at me so toxic, bringing up one thing relating to a player about the Saints, and I'm, I'm totally off the point. Anywho. Jameer Gibbs. He can be an Alvin Kamara type of player. He can be that Austin Eckler, that CMC type of back but with Tyreek Hill speed. And it's going to be disgusting once Dan Campbell actually gets, um, you know, gets a nice package going for him. Once Jared Goff gets comfortable, once the offensive coordinator for the Lions is really going to be able to implement Jameer Gibbs the way he wants to and needs to. And, and like we mentioned, that Chiefs offense, very stale. Uh, they missed their best targets for Mahomes. But the defense for the Chiefs, without Chris Jones, stood up to the test and shut down an elite Lions offense held them to 14 points. So we can realistically all sit here and say, if Kadarius Tony catches that pass, then we're probably having a completely different conversation, but we're going to have those types of what-ifs in the NFL season plenty of times to go on. And like I said, that Lions defense early on, um, well, earlier on in the segment, and even now as we're still discussing it, they made some plays with their new additions. Again, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. You saw Jack Campbell make some plays. I love Brian Branch, new nice safety duo there. I love how they turn over the safeties and they made some plays. I love how they turn over the running back room and the Lions make some plays there as well. 
Um, but again, a drop pass turned into a pick six and 14 points from the offense definitely makes me want to see more out of this team. And you got to have the respect for Dan Campbell, right? That grinded out type of mentality. You, you can't not have respect for that fake punt that he pulled first time, I think, since 2019 that someone has pulled a full, pulled a fake punt inside their 20 yard line. Last team was the Baltimore Ravens. They're a second half team, just like last year. Last year, they start one and six. They end the season eight and two to finish with a nine and eight record, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, making sure I did my math there correctly. And that's what they did as well. They go in uh, trailing 14-7. They get the pick six off Mahomes. Obviously, they only hold the Chiefs to a field goal. So that's impressive. That's impressive, I will say. Again, it was a little disappointing. It kind of felt like a stalemate. And as the game got closer, I wanted to pick the Detroit Lions. I 100% wanted to pick the Lions going into that game. And as the game played out, I was like, mm, maybe I put a little too much faith into Mahomes with no weapons because Kelsey wasn't there and I'm not buying in on an MVS or a, or a Sky Moore or a Rasheed Rice or a Kadarius Tony because they're unproven. Maybe, yes, you can give some credit to MVS and Kadarius Tony. Sky Moore just came in last year. Rasheed Rice, rookie this year, clearly. You want to know who led the Kansas City Chiefs in receptions? Isaiah Pacheco with four. No quarterback, excuse me, no tight end or wide receiver in this game, I want to say, had over two to three receptions. Kadarius Toney, zero yards. So it was interesting to see how it played out here for the Kansas City Chiefs. I was saying that the lines on paper definitely look like that team that can have that really top five to 10 defense in the NFL. I mean, just go look at their depth chart. Aiden Hutchinson, CJ Gardner-Johnson, Jack Campbell, Alex Anzalone, Brian Branch, just those five guys there. Let them mess around and make a move at the trade deadline if they really want to lock that defense up in an NFC. I could definitely see it happening. Y'all get in the chat. Get in the comments on episode 38. Let me know what you're feeling about the Lions upsetting the Chiefs in the NFL season opener. Real Take Sports. What's up, man? Yeah, Jameer Gibbs is crazy quick. Look at the old Space Jam gear. You already know. Oh, wait, wrong side. The camera's confusing when they're backwards. You already know, baby. Shout out James Fisher back in our grazing here days. He gave me this. I actually borrowed it from him. Didn't give it back soon enough. He's like, nah, bro, you can keep it. Broke his trust there. Regret doing that. Super regret doing that. We talked about paydays as we got into the show. Nick Bosa. But not before we talk about Joe Burrow, who strategically gets his signing right after the NFL season kicks off. And we got some chirps out there of, oh, I wonder if it's because Joe Burrow's up in the Patrick Mahomes rivalry. I wonder if it's because maybe he was trying to send out some sort of message before the game got started to Patrick Mahomes, if maybe Brittany Mahomes was checking her phone or Patrick Mahomes was checking his phone. I know that's kind of far-fetched, right? But when I heard some people kind of chirping about that, I was like, you do what you got to do to get an edge in the NFC. But Joe Burrow, five years, $270 million, now the highest paid quarterback in NFL history, now the highest paid player in NFL history, and that's happened now four times this season with Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, and now Joey Burrow. Joe Cool, ice in his veins. Joseph Lee Burrow has his contract. And I'll always say it. Joe Burrow was a guy coming out of LSU. I, I didn't know if he would actually live up to this. But two healthy seasons, a Super Bowl and an AFC title game appearance, really two of them, of course. But to get to the Super Bowl, you got to go through the AFC title game. So Joe Burrow gets $219 million guaranteed, which is the second most ever behind Deshaun Watson's $230 million fully guaranteed that he signed with the Cleveland Browns March of last year. And again, notice how they did it right as the season kicked off. 
I think that's a very strategic move there from the Cincinnati Bengals. 55 million bucks a year is the most ever. And of course leads the NFL as the highest paid player. But now we ask the question and this is one thing that kind of pisses me off about how the NFL pays quarterbacks nowadays is because, you know, you hear everybody win before you pay your quarterback, win before you pay your quarterback, sign your, you know, go cheap on offense or defense. If you need to, you have to invest into the trenches, you know, your quarterback and you know, pass rusher falls in the trenches and a good corner, right? Like we know there's those three to four positions in football that are non-negotiable. You have to pay them. And I don't want to see the Bengals become a team where now Joe Burrow is the highest paid quarterback of all time. And they go on um, and, and they're not able to bring in more players. They're not able to possibly extend both the Higgins and a chase. They possibly let one have to walk. How does it come down to when you're going to need a defense in a loaded AFC? Are you just going to look to shoot out with some of the best teams, which it could be that way. We don't know how the AFC is ne uh, necessarily going to separate itself this year. Is it just going to be who scores the most points or whose defense is actually going to show up? in a vital moment. And again, we just don't want to see, I don't want to see a young team like the Bengals who just got turned around really quick as we've ever seen, resets the quarterback market with Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, excuse me, resets the quarterback expectation market. First full healthy year and he's damn near winning a Super Bowl. I mean, what can you realistically knock on him or uh, make a knock on that for him? You can't, don't even try to do it. But again, you want to ask yourself, how does this team now build? How do they pay? and build around him. Uh, and we know, again, once you pay the quarterback, it could be harder to reach the Super Bowl, pay your key players, bring in more players. And that is, again, one thing I don't like is how when you can pay a quarterback, you're going to just unload the Brinks truck on them. I feel like every quarterback, if the market would have stayed the same, they would have been okay with hovering around 30 to maybe 40 million a year. But now we've got guys making 55 million a year. So you know damn sure Patrick Mahomes is going to get a 58 to possibly 62 to 65 million dollar a year deal. He's a two-time Super Bowl MVP. He's a two-time MVP. He's a two-time Super Bowl champion. He's never played a playoff game on the road. He's never played uh you know, yeah, there you go. Excuse me, a road playoff game. But you you just don't want to see the the, the Bengals get cash trapped, right? And the defense is good. It was sixth overall in points per game last year, and we know the offense is clearly elite. So the weapons are set. It's just going to be more of keeping your guys in place. And T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, those are the big guys that are up next already. Thankfully, they have paid Logan Wilson. But when you look at Jamar Chase, your receivers are making anywhere from twenty three to thirty million dollars a year. I have a very strong feeling Jamar Chase is going to be a top three paid receiver in the league, if not the highest paid wide receiver by the time his contract comes out. Clearly, Justin Jefferson is going to be getting paid as well. Um, and T. Higgins could command anywhere from that 23 to maybe 25, 26 million dollar range um, for a wide receiver, especially knowing that he is the wide receiver, too. And you, you got guys like Chidabe Awuzie, of course, Tyler Boyd, DJ Reader, a little on the back burner at the moment because you got more important players up front. Um, but I found an article here actually describing how the Bengals were able to sign Joe Burrow to that record contract. And it's really because of the NFL salary cap, because, of course, a lot of people are going to say, what about Jamar Chase's extension next year? Are they going to be able to keep T Higgins if that's a possibility? Um, you know, are they going to possibly end up like the Chiefs have could possibly be thinking right now? Great quarterback, but not a lot of weapons to throw to in a second tier defense. But let's take a breath. Let's look at how the NFL salary cap is going to play out. Because, of course, that is the cap that the league puts on teams so they don't overspend. The way it works, though, is – hold on. I'm trying to find it here. So the salary cap in 2023 is going to be just south of $225 million. In 2024, it's going to jump to $256 million. 2024 is the last year on Joe Burrow's current rookie deal, the fifth-year deal that they picked up. He's scheduled to make 
$29.5 million. Then in 2025, Joe Burrow's new contract kicks in that he just signed. The salary cap jumps to $282 million. And then in 2026, it just shows you that the more that the NFL makes, the more that they're going to allow their teams to spend, which I think that's great. Give it back to your players. Give it back to you know the teams to spend money, sell more merchandise, make different things, whatever the hell they want to do, right? It's expected to jump to $306 million, damn near $100 million more than it is right now in just a mere three years. So imagine quarterbacks are probably going to be making 65 – oh, God, I don't know. That's going to be scary as hell if a quarterback is literally making 65 to $70 million a year. But here's why it isn't necessarily so frightening over time as we talk about Joe Burrow's contract. It's going to take up 20% of the salary cap in 2025, and then when the actual new deal kicks in, um, it's only going to take up 18% in 2026. And then, of course, barring anything happens in the NFL, which even though with the pandemic year, um, you know, things tailored off with sales and there was clearly nobody at the games, this, that, and the third. Um, the NFL is going to be good in terms of money. People still buy nosebleed seats. Y'all know we just bought our tickets to the Saints-Falcons game on November 26th. People are still buying merchandise. Anything that they can get their hands on for their favorite NFL team, they're going to make it happen. Um, and you notice this year also, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, now Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts as well, got new NFL records for salaries. And, and you take a look at the Bengals. They're notoriously underspenders, so they don't want to always stretch to the cap space limit. 2023, they had the fourth most cap space in the NFL. So basically the fourth most amount of money that they didn't spend towards the most money, um, of course, as the NFL salary cap. But it, it does make it interesting as how things are going to play out. And like I said, Joe Burrow's um, contract as it goes on, it's going to take on less and less of that salary cap. But you even look in 2024, the Bengals have right now at least 45 million in cap space to play with, which could be enough to bring T. Higgins back. Obviously, Jamar Chase is going to get his deal as well. I think he'll make at least 30 a year, if not more than that. So it's going to be interesting to see that Chase, Burrow, Higgins, obviously Tyler Boyd is a little bit down the line. Um, but just kind of getting into the deeper parts there of what would actually happen for the you know Cincinnati Bengals and the Joe Burrow situation. But hats off to you, Joe. You played at Louisiana State University. You were the last person that brought a title to the state of New Orleans. You take your five years, $270 million, $219 million guaranteed, transferring from Ohio State to having the best college football quarterback season and college football quarterback season. Yes, and I almost said in NFL history. In history, with the best LSU team in history, with the best college football team potentially in history, and you go deserve that contract. Because I'm going to tell you straight up, man, I didn't expect you to play the way that you do right now. And you're blowing my mind. And I love to see it. You deserve your money. Go get what you need to go get. And Sean Payton is out here speaking out again. We see Sean Payton. This is what he does, right? It, it's no surprise. This is what Sean Payton does. Sean Payton tells Russell Wilson in a nice way, and I'll tell you in the little, little more cut and dry way right after this. He basically tells Russell Wilson to focus less on his brand and focus more on football. He specifically said, would you stop kissing fucking babies? You're not running for the front office. You're not running, not running for a political front office. You're not in politics. And let's just be real for a second. As a diehard Saints fan, I know this is what Sean Payton is. When Sean Payton came into New Orleans, he even said he didn't want the job. But when Sean Payton came into New Orleans, he came into a franchise that was absolutely desolate, Bags on our heads, the laughing stock of sports, maybe the worst franchise in sports at the time. 
and in the first year he takes him to the NFC title game. What do you think had to happen behind the scenes in the locker room with the front office for Sean Payton to actually get that leverage and turn around that team the way that he did? Just think about that. The Saints in their first year with Sean Payton went to the NFC title game. And now Sean Payton coming in, he's taking over kind of in a similar situation, one of the worst teams in football last year. The worst offense in football, 17 points per game last year, I believe it was. The worst quarterback season ever from a future first ballot Hall of Famer in Russell Wilson. Some people are willing to write him off that Hall of Fame ballot. They think he's washed. I think that's absolutely crazy. I'm not going to take, again, one season with arguably the worst coaching job in NFL history. I'm not going to take that and write Russell Wilson off. I just I can't do that knowing what Russ is. Maybe I'm silly for picking the Chiefs last night, but I'm not going to be silly enough just because he's not got an MVP vote. I don't give a damn. Russell Wilson is still Russell Wilson. Drew Brees didn't become Drew Brees without Sean Payton. And yes, Brees probably made Payton as well. But Drew was not the caliber of player he was without Sean. And Sean is not the caliber coach he is without the Bill Parcells Foundation. We know he came from that type of coaching tree. Bill Parcells one of the most well-respected, legendary coaches and NFL figures at that in history. Sean Payton had the benefit and the blessing of learning from him, which is great. Absolutely go for it. And Sean Payton even asked Russell Wilson, can I coach you hard? Can I, can I really step in and coach you? Am I allowed to do that? Are you going to allow me to push you, to hold you accountable, to take you way beyond the limits that you were last season? Because clearly you played like shit, if we're just being honest, Russell Wilson. And it's nothing against you personally, man. I, I see the entirety of the situation for what it was. And that's why I have such belief in the Denver Broncos this year. That's why I think the Denver Broncos are legit the ninth best team in the NFL this year. Because Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, I've said it a hundred times, I'll say it a thousand more until they go into the playoffs this year. Sean Payton and Russell Wilson are going to bring something out of each other that none of us have seen. And I think it's going to be arguably the peak of both of their careers. But are, are we just going to forget as well that Sean Payton just called out Nathaniel Hackett? Are we having amnesia here? Are we forgetting that just a few episodes ago, realistically here for the NFL with AJL, that we weren't talking about Sean Payton? firing off at Nathaniel Hackett. And we've even heard multiple players over the years, specifically Delvin Bro. Apparently, Sean Payton came into the film room or wherever it was, and I guess Delvin wasn't acting right. And Sean Payton was like, I'll trade you. I'll, I'll straight up trade you if you don't want to act right. Sean Payton now telling Russell Wilson, focus less on your brand. Be a little less Mr. Unlimited. <laughs> and be a little more of Dangerous Wilson. Go eat a, uh, uh, what, what was it? The, the Danger Witch. <laughs> that was absolutely ridiculous. But like, this doesn't shock me, right? This is who Sean Payton is at his core. Literally who Sean Payton is at his core. So this, this, this doesn't surprise me. The last time the Saints went to the NFC title game, and this kind of pissed me off, the year of the no call. It was right after we got the first round by. Sean Payton walks in way before the game against the Eagles. He brings in the, the Super Bowl trophy from 09, and he brings in half a million bucks, cash, puts it right next to the trophy. He says, y'all want this? Win three fucking games. That's just Sean Payton, man. That's just who Sean Payton is. That's what he does. That's the way he's rolled. He's been a smart-ass to reporters before, and he's also one of the best offensive minds and coaches we've ever seen in the game. 
I get it. He's got one Super Bowl. I get it. I've got all this Saints attire behind me. But I witnessed firsthand what Sean Payton has done for a franchise. I do believe you're getting a different version of him because the whole, oh, my heart's not in it anymore, just to sit out one season and be on Colin Cowherd show multiple times and then go get hired for the Broncos. Maybe you just didn't want to put up for the rebuild that the Saints were having to go through, but that's okay because when we win one without you, maybe not with Dennis Allen and Derek Carr, but when we win one without you, Sean Payton, it's okay. It's totally okay, bro. And it will 100% be personal. Hell, I hope it's against the Broncos. I hope it's against the Broncos. I really do. But it doesn't surprise me that Sean Payton is acting this way because, again, this is, this is who Sean Payton is. Sean Payton is smash mouth. Sean Payton is honest. Sean Payton is brutal. Sean Payton is a guy that doesn't let up. He coaches people hard. And you hear, just like with the Eric Bieniemy situation, we hear that Sean, or excuse me, that Eric Bieniemy is apparently pushing his players too hard, coaching them too much. Patrick Mahomes, literally the sixth best player, the sixth best, the sixth best quarterback in NFL history. Patrick Mahomes says he's a better player because of the way Eric Bieniemy coaches him. I guarantee you that this Broncos team will be better and Russell Wilson will return to form, if not 80 to 85% of said MVP form that we've seen because of Sean Payton being there and because of the way that he's redoing, again, one of the worst teams in football, the worst offense in football, the worst quarterback season we've ever seen out of Russell Wilson off of a freshly sold year and the worst coaching job, arguably, in the league. It is what it is. It absolutely is what it is when it comes down to Sean Payton talking with the Denver Broncos this way. Let's head into a break for the show as this is episode 38 of the NFL with AJL. I appreciate everybody tuning in here on a Friday night around 7 p.m. You could have been anywhere else in the world. You could have chose any other podcast in the world, but you're right here locked in with me. And you already know I appreciate you guys from the bottom of my heart. Please make sure to like the stream, share the stream wherever you're at. Subscribe on YouTube. Y'all been running it up for me on YouTube subscribers. All social media platforms have been booming because of y'all's engagement, and you know I appreciate that. As always, the QR code in the corner of the screen will give you every bit, I almost said of what off-season content. Threw me back there for a second. If you've been with me since the beginning, you know what I mean about what off-season content. Every bit of the NFL with AJL content, social media and podcasts, we're on all podcast platforms. Please leave us a review. Please follow us on all social media platforms. Like the post, share them, get at me in the comments, DM me. I reply to every comment. I genuinely like every comment. I want to know what you guys have to say. And as always, never forget, we're sponsored by Buy and Sell with AJL for all your worldwide professional real estate needs. Whether you're looking to buy a home, sell a home, or invest in real estate, at Buy and Sell with AJL on all social media platforms. Again, for all your worldwide professional real estate needs, drop your email down in the comments or DM them on social media to get on their exclusive newsletter. And you can also take advantage of the new AI that they just implemented into their system that really benefits sellers in today's odd market. It is still a seller's market. Buyers, yes, are competing with higher rates, but you've still got a way to buy real estate, especially with Buy and Sell with a J. L. And speaking of another payday that we just talked about a little earlier, but now we will give the flowers. Ooh, excuse me. Wrong one. Are we there? No, wait a second. Are we there? There we go. Cool. I did skip a topic because we're not going to preview the best games. I have a decent little take for every game for week one at the end. So we'll just kind of hold it there. But Nick Bosa becomes the highest paid non-QB player ever. Nick Bosa becomes the highest paid defensive player in the league and of all time as he signs also a five-year deal, but 
little bit less than Joe Burrow did. Instead of 270, it's 170. Five years, $170 million with the San Francisco 49ers, $122 million guaranteed as a defensive end. That's more than TJ Watt, Aaron Donald, Deron Payne, Miles Garrett, Khalil Mack, his brother Joey Bosa, Jeffrey Simmons, Max Crosby, and Quinnen Williams. And we know Nick Bosa deserves this, right? He's an absolute beast. He was arguably the best player in the draft. He was easily the best edge rusher, the best defensive player in the draft. And when San Francisco drafted him, when San Francisco drafted him and brought him onto that defensive line, at that point, they literally had five first-round defensive linemen. Defensive tackle, nose tackle, defensive end, however you want to cut it. They had some dogs up there, some stars. Pass rushers out of the first round because we know that's what the San Francisco 49ers believe in. If they don't believe in paying a quarterback, damn it, if they don't believe in buying into a dynamic quarterback in today's league, there's one thing they're going to do. They're going to take care of the defensive linemen. They're going to put them in a great position to succeed. And and Nick Bosa was confident. He knew he was, uh, you know, he was confident. He knew he was going to get this deal ever since March of 2022. He knew he was going to get extended. He said, I'm pretty confident about it. I know I'll get what I deserve. And the GM, I want to say, um, I know it's John Lynch, but uh, I want to say it was last, uh, what's it called? Last March, the GM said that they were working on it with him and Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel got that three-year, $72 million extension, if I'm not mistaken, making him one of the highest paid offensive players before they brought in Christian McCaffrey, and now they sign Nick Bosa. And let's just talk about the money that the 49ers are shelling out here for a second, right? So Nick Bosa... It's now the highest paid defensive end in the league, making $34 million a year. Christian McCaffrey is the highest paid running back in the league, making $16 million a year. That's going to be an interesting point. I think technically Kyle Juszczyk is the second paid, second highest paid fullback in the league. George Kittle is the third highest paid tight end in the league with $15 million. Trent Williams is the third highest paid left tackle with $23. Trent, uh, excuse me, Fred Warner is the third highest paid linebacker at $19 million. Javon Hargrave, sixth highest paid defensive tackle at $21 million. And Debo Samuel is the seventh highest paid wide receiver, probably soon to be eighth highest paid once Justin Jefferson gets his deal. Um, Sorry, seventh highest paid wide receiver. And of course, we've got Brock Purdy coming in with an average of the least among all NFL starters, which go figure, he was literally the dead last pick in the NFL draft. He was damn near undrafted. Starting quarterback in the NFL, $934,000. Only $934,000, man, if I made that a year. If that's the low end of your job, your career, your payday, you're clearly doing something right. (laughs) I'm just saying. But we know that Brock Purdy's not getting paid like Trent Williams, Fred Warner, Javon Hargrave, Debo Samuel, Kittle, Juszczyk, McCaffrey, or Bosa are, but all those guys above as well, with the exception of Hargrave, of course. I've been with that team, and of course Christian McCaffrey. I've been with that team for a while, but we're not going to knock the Niners for paying Bosa. And originally I said that they they didn't have to rush to do it. It wasn't like, yes, it's a priority because 32 out of 32 teams in the league would sign him. I don't give a shit who you are. He's a, a, a beast, an absolute dog. Um, You know, damn, I really forgot what I was going to say. Jeez, I hate, absolutely hate when I, oh, excuse me. I was originally saying that, you know, they weren't a team that necessarily had to pay him off the rip, not originally off the rip. I thought that, but they didn't have to rush 
to pay him so quickly. Clearly they did because we know the the caliber of player that he is, but you still have, you know, the, the Eric Armstead, you have Javon Hargrave, um, you have a couple of other decent pass rushers on that line, but by far and away, Nick Bosa is the core of that defensive line, and he is arguably the best player on the team. Um, you could debate that, of course, with Kershaw McCaffrey, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, however you feel about it, or even Trent Williams. But nonetheless, we know what Nick Bosa provides for this team, and that's why they brought him back. He had a great 2022 season, 51 tackles, 19 of those were for a loss. League leading 18 and a half sacks, reigning defensive player of the year, or excuse me, or wait, yes, he is the reigning defensive player of the year, excuse me, 48 quarterback hits, two forced fumbles, three-time pro bowler, and he was the 2019 defensive rookie of the year as well. And across four seasons and 51 games, we know that in week two of his uh, sophomore season, he tore his ACL, he was out for the year. Four seasons, 51 games, 43 sacks. So he's due for really, I think it's what, just about a sack every three quarters. Let me do that math real quick. If you got 51 games and 43 sacks. Oh, wait, 43 sacks over 51 games. Yeah, so that's like literally a sack every three quarters, roughly. That's 0.8 sacks a game. So, you know, some games he's getting one, maybe two, skipping one the next game. Uh, But no doubt, look for the Niners to be a top defensive unit again. This was no shock. We knew Nick Bosa was going to get paid. He's one of the best in the league. He's probably going to win defensive player of the year again at some point. Hell, he could go for it this year. Um, and, and he's really going to be that that guy that replaces the J.J. Watt, that replaces possibly the Aaron Donald when his time comes. I feel like he's going to be that cornerstone player of the league, and, and he's going to have to fight for it with a Miles Garrett, with a Micah Parsons, you know, um, possibly with a Max Crosby. I mean, we'll have to see how things play out for Nick Bosa, but very, very happy for him. He deserves his payday. It's no shock that he did get this payday, and the Niners were smart. The Niners were smart. They're going to have a top – uh, top defensive unit as they go into 2023. Carl Williams, who is Caleb Williams' dad, I want to get to this, is saying some pretty interesting stuff here as Caleb Williams, according to Carl Williams, or, or we'll just keep it like this, Carl Williams said Caleb would stay at USC for another year if he doesn't like the situation that the number one overall pick team is in. And I, I, I kind of get it. I'll be honest with you. I kind of understand where he's coming from because, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Let me, let me stick to my points before I, before I run off the rails here. Um, but I, I, I can kind of get this, you know, I really can because NIL is a real thing. We know he would make much more in the NFL and we'll get into those numbers as well. Um, but NIL is a real thing. And we also know that the Cardinals could possibly have the number one overall pick and his dad feels a certain type of way about how the draft plays out. But NIL He's fourth among all college athletes. He's got deals with Fanatics, AT&T, Beats, United Airlines, United Airlines. Y'all seen him in that new Wendy's commercial <laughs> about him transferring? Talk about a, a hook for a commercial or a way to just get someone to pay attention. But he's all over the place, right? He's got an NIL valuation of $2.6 million for a guy that's in college. My God. And then you have Bryce Young, just comparing this because I'm sure Caleb Williams will be the number one overall pick this year if he does enter the draft. Bryce Young signed his four-year, fully guaranteed 37, really $38 million uh, contract, including a $24.6 million signing bonus. So just off the signing bonus, Caleb, you're going to get you know 12 times more. But I'm not going to sit here and knock Caleb for possibly wanting to stay because Caleb's a smart guy. He's one of Heisman. He transferred with Lincoln Riley. He understands the money that's in the NFL. He's not stupid. He's probably got an agent, you know, like let's not kid ourselves here, but Caleb Williams did say, I guess in order for him to leave, 
a successful season would be reach 70% pass completions this year, or excuse me, 70% completions this year, win the Pac-12 championship, win the national championship, win a second Heisman trophy, and go first overall in the NFL draft. Well, he's won a Heisman. Um, great chance to win the Pac-12. Great chance to win another Heisman. I'm going to say it's a great chance for win, them to win the national championship. He's already throwing for 70% completion this year. Nine touchdowns, no interceptions. I want to say just shy of 600 total yards. But here's the thing as to why I really understand why Caleb Williams and his dad ultimately might not want to have him go into the draft yet. One, the quarterback competition is high, even though I do think he is by a landslide the best quarterback in the draft. Maybe he wants to wait for less competition. We've had that in recent years happen, and even earlier years, outside of recent years, um, we've had that happen. But Caleb Williams is regarded as literally the best NFL prospect ever seen next to an Andrew Luck, next to a Trevor Lawrence. Of course, Trevor Lawrence was the most recent uh, prospect to have that kind of hype with his comparisons, uh, excuse me, talking about Caleb Williams, his comps to Mahomes, the elusiveness like Mahomes, the big arm like Mahomes. He can even kind of scramble and move around like Kyler or Lamar Jackson if he needs to. Off-platform, off-balance. I mean, he's got it all, right? He truly has the swag of a QB1, of a number one overall pick, of a national championship winner, of a Heisman winner, which he's already done clearly. And it's great to see Lincoln Riley at USC having the toolage for all this. But if you're being compared already to the sixth best quarterback of all time, I, at that point, I don't blame him for staying because not only are you not wanting to possibly go to a dumpster fire in the Cardinals, who, by the way, picked first overall in back-to-back years not long ago with Josh Rosen. They said, fuck Josh Rosen. We're going to pick Kyler Murray. And now you have them after signing Kyler Murray to one of the biggest deals in NFL history, one of the biggest quarterback contracts. Of course, now it's you know a little down the line since some people have gotten paid. They also included a study clause in there and then since took it out. Even knowing all that, how big they could possibly foot the bill, the Cardinals could still have the first and second overall, first and second overall pick this year due to the Houston Texans because of the way that they moved up into the third position after they picked CJ Stroud second and Will Anderson in the third spot. But you, I mean, you look at Caleb Williams' numbers just in terms of being compared as one of the, the great prospects of all time. The Heisman year, 4,500 yards, 42 touchdowns, five picks, a total of 52 touchdowns as he had 10 rushing, 382 rushing yards. This year, he's already got 11 carries for 40 yards. This year, he's already completing 74% of his passes, 597 yards, nine touchdowns, no interceptions, insane passer rating of 236.4. Of course, that's a little different for when it plays out with college athletes. But, you know, the big thing is Carl Williams, who is Caleb's dad. He doesn't like the structure of the NFL draft. And he even mentioned Kyler Murray struggling because of where Kyler went. He even took a shot at my New Orleans Saints and said the reason that Archie Manning had such a bad career is because he went to a piss poor organization in the 70s of the New Orleans Saints. And that's very true. That's very, very true. And I don't want to see a guy like Caleb Williams or possibly Shador Sanders or Drake May or Michael Penix or Quinn Ewers, Evers, I, I need to get right on that, coming out of Texas. Hell, Kyler Murray when he came out. Trevor Lawrence when he came out. Baker Mayfield when he came out. And I've always thought, even way since before I started podcasting, watching the NFL in 2004, when I first started watching the league, I never liked the fact of the quarterback going to the worst team in the NFL, or really with the number one pick going to the worst team in the NFL. Of course, it's okay and really correct for it to work that way because the NFL likes parity, right? Put the best player in the worst position and see what they can do. Well, Trevor Lawrence overcame it. I believe if Kyler Murray wouldn't have had Cliff Kingsbury, he could have possibly overcome it. I you know, believe if Baker Mayfield possibly didn't go to the Browns, which I was... Baker was good coming out of college, but I, I didn't think he was going to be like 
super generational, like a lot of people were high on him for. And now we've got Caleb Williams. Now we've got a loaded draft. I didn't even mention Jaden Daniels and Jordan Travis. You don't want to see any quarterback who's the most important position in football, maybe the most important position in sports, one of the most fun positions in sports to watch. You don't want to potentially see that person go to a piss poor organization, go to a piss poor team. I know I sure as hell don't. And this is kind of where Caleb's dad is coming from. He doesn't like the way that the draft is structured. So of course he would leak the comment and say, well, I mean, if the Cardinals don't have it together, it's always, it's, it's always an option for him to go back to school. It is always an option for him to go back to USC and play with Lincoln Riley. And let's be real. If Caleb Williams hasn't won a national championship yet, if he doesn't win the Pac-12 yet this year, that's all the reason to go back next year. Because also I believe if he does wait, he'll just make more next year because the NFL is only getting more expensive. So if he waits this year, I understand because he might not want to go to the Cardinals. He's going to make more money next year. He's making $2.6 million right now without his John Hancock even on an NFL contract. So, I mean, Caleb Williams is in no rush. He's squarely in the Heisman conversation right now. USC is the number six team in the country, if I recall correctly, from the AP Top 25. I'm not knocking him. Do I think he should go ahead and go to the league? Yeah, go younger. Go. Go out there and make your money. Go be great. But I get it if it's possibly the Cardinals or or the Rams or, I mean, I guess the Texans again. I mean, who knows, right? We don't want to see those same bad teams continue to get the number one overall pick again and again and again. And if the Cardinals get the number one overall pick, that will literally be their third number one overall pick in... Five years, six years, four years. Cardinals fans roast me because I know I don't know my shit. I know y'all are going to get in the comments and and let me know. But I did think this was interesting to hear that Caleb Williams might play his fourth year. He could. Going to make more money next year in the NFL if he goes next year. Not 2024, but 2025. Shador Sanders also goes in 2025, I'm pretty sure. So he's not eligible just yet. Or wait, Travis Hunter, excuse me, is eligible in 2025. Not Shador Sanders. Possibly less quarterback competition next year as well, because there's a lot of quarterbacks here this year. Jaden Travis, Jaden Travis, Jaden Daniels, Jordan Travis, Caleb Williams, Drake Main, Michael Penix, Bo Nix. A lot of quarterbacks. A lot of them. So I'm not going to knock Caleb if, if, you know, I'm not going to knock him if, as a very generational prospect, being compared to Patrick Mahomes, arguably, let's see how we're looking here. Got a little bit of light falling off. Okay, we'll leave it there. Yeah, because we got a little little dim in the back. As Patrick Mahomes comparison, knowing what he's done, I, I get it if he doesn't want to go to a bag organization. Maybe this time, or with this type of player, since he's so generational, he'll switch it up. He'll switch it up. People might go and now play for fourth years, play for how many every years of eligibility they'd like until they can possibly fall into that nicer situation of getting to a better franchise. So we'll see what happens there as Carl Williams, Caleb Williams' dad says that he could possibly go back and play at USC. And just before we pick, what's up, Dylan? Good to see you, man. Lions winning the NFC. Get your bet in now. Nah, baby. These boys are winning the NFC. Get your bet in right now. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I got the Eagles winning the NFC this year, man. But uh, hey, if the Lions can do it, so be it, right? Like, hey, we're here for it. That's fine. That's totally fine. 
Um, and the Raiders just can't catch a break. Want to get to this too. Raiders just cannot catch a break as Chandler Jones went from blasting the head coach and GM on social media doing to just being locked out of the facility to its crisis team was sent to his house because Chris, or excuse me, Chandler Jones is posting everything all over social media. And now he is not playing with the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday in week one. And again, can the Raiders catch a break? I mean, not to bring up horrible things, but Damon Arnett, you just randomly have John Gruden retiring now, suing the NFL, obviously Henry Ruggs, (laughs) Darren Waller is out, Derek Carr leaves, Lord, 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 you take Tyree Wilson early, I mean, can they catch a break? Can the Raiders have one competent offseason? Can the Raiders have one offseason without a ton of noise, without a Devontae Adams being upset with Jimmy G? There's been a lot of noise coming out of the Raiders here this offseason. There really has. And you guys know what I always say when it comes to noise. If there is noise within an organization, it is not going to fare well for you in the National Football League. It never has, and it never will. And when you're talking about a Raiders team with Jimmy G, put in a situation where he's going to have to carry an offense, which he's never done put in a situation of a defense that's not going to be very much behind him. The Raiders haven't had a good defense in the last decade. Derek Carr never got a top 20 defense in his time. So you really think they're going to give it to Jimmy G? Josh McDaniel is coming off of the coaching gaffe of last year. And now you have one of your top five players for sure. We know Devontae Adams, Josh Jacob, Max Crosby. We know those guys are in there. Chandler Jones, no doubt, is a dog. Absolute beast. 112 sacks, and he was very pissed. He was very pissed that he got locked out of the gym. Um, He was like, how am I uh, one of the best athletes in the world? It's a shame that I'm a top athlete athlete with 112 sacks in the NFL, and I have to go to a local gym to work out during the season for no apparent reason. This is wild to me, Josh, and you know it. You you know it. You need to do what's right. Went to the local gym, worked out instead of the Raiders facility. Said he didn't want to play for Josh McDaniels anymore. Calling out Dave Ziegler. Zeigler, however you say it, the GM, he was just throwing the dirty laundry out there. I mean, he straight up said, I don't want to play for the Raiders if my head coach or GM are these guys. F it. I don't want to play for the Raiders if that's my head coach or GM. I want Patrick I want Patrick Graham, Ivy lead blank. <laughs> I'll leave that word out. If you're familiar with the situation, you already know what he said. They won't let me in the building, though, trying to provoke me. Five years. Uh, what did this last say here? Uh, I don't really care to get that much that much deeper into it. Uh, in terms of you know what he had said there. But to know that another story from the Las Vegas Raiders has leaked because one of their players is not happy, 112 sacks, one of the best pass rushers in the league, especially since he's come into the league. I want to say he's up there with like, I want to say he's up there with Aaron Donald in terms of how much productions he's ha- production he's had since he's come into the NFL. And, um, you know, been drafted and been that type of player that he's that he's evolved into. But I I really hate this for the Raiders, though, because they've got some talent all over their roster. But I think you're talking about a culture issue here. I think you're talking about an overall front office and coaching issue here. Um, And again, this is the last thing that the Raiders need. I mean, I'm already worried about you. I was already biting my nails that Josh Jacobs was possibly going to hold out and you bring him back to literally save Jimmy G's ass. Devontae Adams already said he wasn't happy with your quarterback. 
Your O line's not going to be that great, in my opinion. Yeah, Michael My- uh, Michael Meyer Mayer. I still need to learn how to say his name. Replaces Darren Waller. Darren Waller is questionable this Sunday, but I do think deeply for Chandler Jones to snap originally from just over the facility being locked. That's some pent up aggression. That's some stuff that he's been holding in resentment towards his team, understanding that the Raiders have not been that well ran over the last few years. Um, really in a while, it seems like it seems like after Derek Carr's MVP season, we're just kind of wondering what's going on with the franchise. And I'm sure the Raiders fans are going to get all down in the comments and fire me up for possibly not knowing what I'm talking about or making a take on this when it's not my team. I know what the culture's been as I've watched the Raiders over the last few seasons and the last couple of decades. I know what it's been since Derek Carr has been there, and that's really been kind of the new era of this team. So you're telling me that Jimmy Garoppolo with this type of head coaching with a defense that was never existent for Derek Carr is suddenly going to be existent for Jimmy G. And you know Jimmy G has always been under elite head coaching, elite culture, and in an elite defense, right? I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Your best defensive player, or at least one of them, top two next to Max Crosby, Chandler Jones is pissed. He's beefing with the Raiders. He's blasting the head coach and GM. Again, I'm I'm not saying this is like Damon Arnett. Clearly, all respect to the Henry Rugg situation. I'm not saying it's like that. But it's more news from a top player, from a team we're already worried about, and it's uh, something to be looked at, no doubt. Something to be wary of. And now as we get into the final parts of the show, Again, episode 38 of the NFL with AJL. Football is officially back. I picked the Chiefs to win last night, so technically I'm 0-1 with my picks on the season. But now I'm going to put up the entire – oh, Lord. Click the wrong button. We're not getting out of here yet. I had it pulled up wrong on the screen. We're getting into all of my picks for week one of the 2023 NFL season. As you see, I have my check marks up here. The check marks doesn't mean that's who I got correctly. That's just who I'm picking. Clearly, I got the Kansas City Chiefs wrong. So I'm 0-1 as we head into the week. As I have it laid out here, it might not be specifically like it is on the schedule, but here we go. Panthers at Falcons. The Falcons are favored by three and a half. The over-under is 39 and a half. Atlanta outmatches Carolina really in every department besides quarterback and coach. It's the two most important ones in the game, obviously, but they do have a rookie quarterback in Bryce Young and, uh, excuse me, or excuse me, Carolina has that rookie quarterback in Bryce Young and then Frank Wright is a solid head coach, but he is with a new squad. Atlanta's home though. They got that revamped defense. They need to click week one against Bryce Young and I'm unsure if it will since it's a very new squad, but I believe in it at least for this week. I'm going to take the Falcons with a win 21 to 20. Texans at Ravens. Ravens have the biggest favorite of the week, minus 10. So the Texans are underdogs. It's probably the lock of the week. Uh, Baltimore's heavy favorites of the weekend. They are the heaviest favorites of the weekend. They average 28 points per game when Lamar Jackson plays, and he is healthy. They got that new revamped offense with Zay Flowers, OBJ, Todd Munkin came in. Hopefully the running back room is healthy, and they are ready to light it up. And I think Houston could struggle against this offense, really, as it goes into things. Although I'll look for Will Anderson to shine, and hopefully C.J. Stroud have some plays against an elite Ravens defense, but it might, might not be too pretty. I think the Ravens are going to win comfortably, and Lamar could really start his MVP case early on. Give me the Ravens 28-10. to 10. My upset of the weekend, Cincinnati Bengals are favored by 2.5 on the road at the Cleveland Browns. Joe Burrow did say that he is good to go in week one. We heard about the calf injury. He was day-to-day. There was no preseason play for him, and we knew he threw four picks last year in the opener 
Last time he did that, all the hype is around Cincinnati. We absolutely know that. But Joe Burrow's one and four against the Cleveland Browns in his career. The Browns clearly just have his number. But he's good for 295 yards and two touchdowns against them per, per his average. I'm buying the Browns this season. I got them winning the NFC North. That's not a hot take. Deshaun Watson will return to form with a loaded offense, a balanced roster on the defensive side of the ball. They put up 21 points per game last year with Deshaun Watson and only playing with Deshaun Watson only playing six games. On the year, 21 points per game for the Browns. Kevin Stefanski dealt with a lightning in a bottle, Baker Mayfield, who then returned to form. Deshaun Watson's elite, and that's why I believe in this team. I really smell a shootout here, and the league sees the Browns that they can hang with and in some cases beat the best teams in the NFL. Give me the Browns with the upset of the weekend at home, 28-24 to in an amazing game. We got the Jaguars on the road at the Indianapolis Colts. The Jags are favored by five. Anthony Richardson's NFL debut against some great coaching against a solid defense. And I'm really excited to watch him in some live regular season reps here. I expect a decent game from him with Shane Steichen's debut as well. We know Shane Steichen had his hands on Jalen Hurts. We know he had his hands on, obviously, uh, Justin Herbert as well. We see what both of those players have turned into. You got Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson on the road opening up the year. I can see this offense putting up big points against the recovering Colts defense. Going to take the Jags in a good game early, but I think they'll put it away midway through the third. Give me the Jaguars, 28-17. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings are favored by six points, almost a touchdown at home, 45-and-a-half point spread, one of the biggest lines of the weekend. Baker Mayfield's debut on the road against a Brian Flores-led defense does not feel good to me, especially with Todd Bowles being at the helm. And I like the Bucs' offense somewhat, but Mike Evans could be heading out of the door this year if there's no deal. We know that he wants a new deal by week one. You got Kirk Cousins at home. He could have his vintage Kirk Cousins game, but really this Bucs defense is still very good. They're going against Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkinson, and even more guys, obviously Alexander Madison. You wish Dalvin Cook could be there. I think this is a battle of defenses here with the superior offense in the Minnesota Vikings taking it home 28 to 20. Ooh, y'all, I'm going to tell you, if you do a solo podcast, make sure to have your water ready. Shoo, I'm out here spitting game, fellas. All right, San Francisco 49ers. Favored by two and a half points on the road at the Pittsburgh Steelers. A lot of people are hype about this game as well. You got Brock Purdy and his powerhouse team tested early against the 10th best defense last season in the Pittsburgh Steelers. Brock Purdy is healthy coming off of that surgery. He's solely in the QB1 role. He's got CMC, Kittle, Debo, Bosa just got paid, so he's comfortable. This could be a big-time game for Brock Purdy in terms of performance, and it will be a big-time game for him as the QB1 to open up the season to see how he actually performs of course I took the Saints Wesley that's my team bro what'd you expect he's fed oh no the Titans are gonna win I, okay so we'll, we'll we'll get to that game we'll get to that game in a second I'm actually not going to super review the Tennessee Titans at Saints here I will give you my pick but in the Hudak corner later incentivizing you to watch to the end of the show I'll give you my breakdown on the New Orleans Saints and the Tennessee Titans but yes, this could be a big-time game for Brock Purdy as the Niners do face the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, Kenny Pickett could really be uncomfortable in his first game at home, but you do have the, the blessings of George Pickens, the best tight end in the draft, I thought, in Darnell Washington. They're going to be on full display, hopefully, but against the best defensive team from last season. This is a big-time defensive game incoming. I think plenty, plenty, plenty of Patrick Peterson and TJ Watt, Nick Bosa, and Fred Warner 
I think the Niners are going to win a stalemate here. Pittsburgh could upset, but give me the Niners 17 to 14, taking way under on the over under there. We got the Cardinals at the Washington Commanders. The Commanders are at home. They're favored by an entire touchdown. And Arizona just named Josh Dobbs their starter, who has 436 career yards, sub 60% completion, two touchdowns, three interceptions. And he was a free agent for two of his most recent seasons. So I don't really expect much from this team this year or this game. You have Jonathan Gannon, who is a rookie defensive head coach, debuting against Eric Bieniemy and Ron Rivera with that amazing defense. Now, Washington does get to flaunt Eric Bieniemy's strengths early on and possibly him have a heyday against this horrible Arizona Cardinals team. Second worst defense in the NFL last year. It could be the Sam Howell and the Scary Terry show. Give me Washington at home comfortably 31-10. to 10. Take the slight over there. We got the Green Bay Packers at the Chicago Bears. Chicago is favored by one at home. The Jordan Love era has officially begun. They're going to be playing that revamped Bears defense, who was the worst in the NFL last season. And, and really, I don't expect much from the Packers this year. Notice how the Bears are favored at home in a pick'em game. Cookie cutter, excuse me. I think it's going to be a cookie cutter game from Green Bay. They're going to keep Jordan Love pretty safe in this one. But Justin Fields is going to begin that journey to make that year in leap three, and he might be tested against this Green Bay defense. I tell you. DJ Moore is going to have plenty of those targets from Justin Fields. He's finally going to have that number one option. Of course, we know that he had Allen Robinson, and that's a sad fall-off to see there. It truly is of Allen Robinson as a receiver ever since he left Chicago. But I think we're going to see a lot of DJ Moore on Jair Alexander. I think we can look for some Roshan Johnson action possibly coming out of the backfield for the Chicago Bears. Give me the, give me the Bears in a nice divisional game. By a touchdown, 24 to 17. We got the Raiders at the Broncos. Vegas is clearly still sleeping on the Broncos. They're only favored by a field goal, 0.5 at home against a Raiders team that I don't expect to be very good this year. Jimmy G, again, he luckily received Josh Jacobs back, has Michael Meyer and Devontae Adams, but not the defensive culture or great head coaching like he did in San Francisco on the road to open it up as well. And Sean Payton, we believe, as I've been saying for the Denver Broncos, Russ gets a nice opening game at home against a bad Raiders team. And the world is slowly, I think, going to lean back into Russell Wilson after this when I can see the Broncos defense really exposing this Raiders offense. And the offense can score pretty frequently in terms of the Broncos. I think the Broncos are going to win comfortably at home, 28-17. to 17. The Dolphins at the Chargers, this could be a nice shootout. I think this is the highest line of the week at 51. Battle of two good quarterbacks here. Two is apparently 100% healthy. And uh, he's going to be with, uh, obviously, he's with one of the best offensive rosters. Replying to Charlie Gonzalez, why no love for them Cowboys, my man? <laughs> um, we'll get there. We'll get there. I'll incentivize you to watch to the end about the picks because that pick is coming up in three picks. Uh, you probably thought I was going to say three, two, one. Gotcha. <laughs> but like I said, two is 100% healthy with one of the best offensive rosters. I don't like the Miami offensive line currently. You know, two and needs to stay upright. They got to have keep Toronto Armstead healthy. We know they have all the offensive speed and the firepower. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Devon A. Shane. I wish Jalen Ramsey was going to be here for this more than likely incoming shootout. Justin Herber and company at home coming off a horrible playoff loss. And they're healthy, at least for now. And we know the offense is elite. We've been known that about the Chargers. But I want to see the defense that's on paper actually perform in real life. Chargers defense, I think, decides the shootout of the weekend. Give me the Chargers in a great one, 31-27. Take the over. Eagles at Patriots. This is a slim line. I know that the Eagles are on the road, so that's probably why they're not favored by as much. Eagles are favored by four on the road against the Patriots. Jalen Hurts is on his revenge tour. 
You do have some roster turnover here with the Eagles, but the draft was very elite for them. And I've got this team repping the NFC in the Super Bowl. Being on the road against this Patriots defense really could stifle some things, but the Philly defense, I think, is going to match up very well. And Mac Jones does have some guys on his team now. Juju Smith-Schuster, Zeke, Devontae Parker, Ramondre Stevenson. Of course, this offense maybe could make a little noise this season, and that Patriots defense is intact. It's always going to be intact, but I, I don't trust the offense right now. I really don't. I think the offense for the Eagles is going to be too much for the defense of New England. Give me the Eagles on the road by 10, score of 27 to 17. The Rams at the Seahawks. The Seahawks are favored by five. Kind of a higher uh, over-under as well at 46 and a half. Maybe not so much. Cooper Cup has officially been ruled out. So essentially the entire Rams offense has been ruled out at this point. The Seahawks team has built up to something nice, I feel like, with their draft. Geno Smith, of course, hopefully returns to his form that he was last season. Pete Carroll continue, hopefully can continue to be elite and get the win and maybe an ugly one. Seahawks win 24-13. Probably an ugly one for the Los Angeles Rams. Last two games here, Charlie Gonzalez. Are you the Charlie Gonzalez for my real estate brokerage? I'm pretty sure you are, my boy. What's up, dude? Good to see you. Let me let me let me pull your comment up here. Yeah, I think that's you, man. It's it's so small here on the screen. Let me. Yeah, that's my boy there. What's going on, Charlie? Appreciate you tapping into the show, man. Good to see you in the chat. All right, so I got the Cowboys. Here you go, Charlie. They're favored by three and a half on the road against the New York Giants, and 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 your Cowboys Super Bowl hype is already very very high. <laughs> What a damn shame that is this high already. Maybe I'm more of a damn shame for believing in my Saints as much as I do, but don't the Cowboys do the same song and dance every year? I mean, let's just be real, right? We know the loaded, excuse me, we know the roster is loaded. They're on the road, but you got a newly built Giants team with Darren Waller, who unfortunately is questionable. No surprise there. Jalen Hyatt, they bring in Isaiah Simmons. Y'all already know how I feel about him and that defense. Deontay Banks, who they drafted. This Giants defense on paper has the potential to be like a Lions defense that is on paper to be that potential that we know the Steelers are on paper, that we know the Ravens are on paper. Go look at this Giants defense, Wink Martindale's second year coming in. We know he had some of that toolage with the elite Ravens defenses over the last few years. But the Cowboys, they're a very balanced team. There's no doubt about that, right? We know the Cowboys are very, very balanced, and the Giants are newly assembled, and they're untested yet. But I feel something here about these Giants at home in a Good divisional game. Your Cowboys won't lose bad, man. It'll be one of the best games of the weekend. Give me the Giants at home in a good divisional game, 27-24. And we've got the best game of the weekend, save for last. Of course, you don't see the check over the Buffalo Bills. I'm in the bottom right of the graphic here, which means by default, I'm going to take those New York Jets. The Bills are on the road, favored by two and a half. Monday night football. Waiting all day for Sunday night. Psych. We're waiting all day for Monday night football. Game of the week. No shock. It's the final one on Monday night football. Again, Josh Allen and his Bills take on the brand new New York Jets and Aaron Rodgers, who are number four in my power rankings, just ahead of those Buffalo Bills. I love the defense of the Jets. I love the control that Aaron Rodgers has had on hard knocks. I love how he looks so happy right now. He's meshing with these younger players. Randall Cobb is out there telling you, if you don't get it together, he won't throw the ball your way. So if you want to have some success this season, you have to heed what Aaron Rodgers is saying. And I'm not taking anything away from the Buffalo Bills, but I think we all know that the biggest story here out of this best game of the week is going to be Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets. I had a tough time doing a score prediction on this one. The over-under is 46 and a half. Bills are favored by two and a half. I could see... I'm going to go Jets 28, Bills 21. 
I think the Jets defense is really going to be better here in this game. Josh Allen and, and Aaron Rodgers are going to ball out. I do think Aaron Rodgers has the better game here as well. So my final picks for the week. Oh, and by the way, thank you, Charlie. He said, it's me, man. He said, boo, Eagles. Oh, I got a lot of love for the Eagles, man. You can't hate on them. Um, I am picking the Saints. <laughs> mainly because it's the week one game. I do believe we're better than the Titans. I just believe that Alvin Kamara not being there could possibly make us lose this game. I did have the Saints going 11-6 and six technically, actually in my record predictions, them dropping this game, but I'm going to be a homer. I'm taking the New Orleans Saints here in this game. So I'm 0-1, of course, as the Chiefs lost last night, but give me the Falcons, Ravens, Browns, Jaguars, Vikings, my Saints, the Niners, the Commanders, the Bears, the Broncos, the Chargers, the Eagles, the Seahawks, the Giants, and those New York Jets with the bad man in Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, as Stephen A. Smith would say. But guys, I told you it wasn't leaving. I might have to flip the hat around to show you that we are officially tapping in to the 2023 New Orleans Saints season. Welcome back to the Who Dat Corner with Adam J. Lewis. I'm the host of it here on the NFL with AJL. I know it's been a couple weeks since we've been on the Who Dat Corner. Diehard Saints fan, as I've told you guys, I got the second jersey up here. I know Kamara is not going to be here for a little while this season. Got to have respect for my boy, the GOAT, Breezy. Did a little bit of rearranging so you could see. Got my Funko Pop over in the corner. Y'all don't, y'all don't play with me, man. I got the, I got the Saints blanket on the back of my bookshelf here yeah you see that you see that logo on the back let me stop though you guys already know i just just had to retap y'all in just had to let y'all know that i'm here for new orleans this year so i think the biggest news that we've got and of course we're going to preview the saints titans game later on but i think the biggest news that we've got is a special team shakeup as will lutz was traded to the denver broncos apparently his agent is not happy and that one shook me a little bit that one really shocked me i'm actually originally from or I'm, I'm still here. Uh, I'm, I'm from Metro Atlanta, about an hour south of Atlanta. Um, Will Lutz actually went to Northgate, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, I, I should know that with him being my kicker. But I know he went to uh, a very reputable Georgia college here as well. And a lot of people that I know knew him, uh, went to school with him. He actually went to school for soccer and then ends up kicking because he could kick the hell out of a soccer ball. Um, has a ton of records, I think, at Georgia State, if I'm not mistaken, not Georgia Southern, especially for the soccer team. And he became a New Orleans Saint. And Will Lutz was absolutely amazing. He was almost automatic. He was very on point. Um, we saw when he had to hit that uh, game winner against the Texans uh, in the season opener right after the no call. So I love Will Lutz. I love everything he's brought to the team. I, I think he has really been a flawless player up until the point that he got hurt. And that's where the NFL stands for not for long. He was hurt in a couple seasons, back-to-back, I want to say. Um, I know we shut him down for one year. The kicking game was not nearly as effective with him uh, or without him in it. And the agent said that the Saints are the one losing here, not the Broncos. As, of course, he goes to the Broncos because Sean, like Sean Payton likes to poach all of our fucking players like he has been all year. But that's okay. That's fine. I'd love to see you in the Super Bowl, Sean Payton. I really would. <laughs> um but yeah, so we have Blake Groupie now. We have Blake Groupie as the kicker, and obviously him coming in as a rookie, um, absolute beast. He's able to really, really do some awesome stuff there for the special teams unit. And ultimately, when you have health beating out someone that's not healthy and you're performing at the same level and you're cheaper, I mean, what do you expect the Saints to do? The Saints are coming off of one of their worst offensive years, one of their worst years of recent memory. 
So you got to get positions right. And, and I hate to see Will Lutz go again. Don't get me wrong. Plenty of memories, plenty of people I know that were close with him. Um, he's got roots here in Georgia. He's a very well-respected player as the Saints. He's one of my favorite kickers in Saints history. Um, and, and I have a lot of respect for him. So I hate to see him go, especially to the damn Broncos, especially to Sean Payton. But it is what it is, right? We got Blake Groupie. I think we'll be okay. Uh, we did release Blake Gilligan, which apparently he wasn't you know, performing to all that. He was our punter who is now a free agent. And we do sign this 30-year-old rookie punter with a crazy story. Absolutely crazy story. Lou Headley, Saints 30-year-old punter from Australia, took his craft from the deserts of Western Australia to a tattoo shop in Indonesia, took a stop in Miami, and now to the NFL. He was named to the Saints 53-man roster a little bit in late August, cementing his spot on an NFL roster. And this is just the true definition of what we like to see in the league, right? Like we love to see this type of stuff, whether it's, you know, Joe Burrow's type of transfer over, over from Ohio state to LSU, big season Heisman winner, you know, big payday. Now Um, we see this with the saints player, obviously being a 30 year old rookie, all the transitions he's been through. You can't not love stories like this because stories like this are, are really what make the league. I mean, come on now, Brock party last pick in the draft. Brock Purdy last pick in the draft, and now he's starting for one of the best NFC teams. 30-year-old rookie. I didn't even know you could be a 30-year-old rookie, man, but I guess when you punt, I guess when your one job is to punt, and that's not a knock. I talk on a microphone in front of a camera. He punts professionally for the New Orleans Saints in the National Football League. <laughs> so clearly there's a difference. I'm not going to say just kick the ball or just do that one job because I have a lot of respect for the league. It's it's my favorite, my favorite sport out there. That's why my whole show is dedicated to it. But you got to love what you see here um, from this punter. I hate to see Blake Gillikin go because we know he had that 80-something yard punt and then got drug tested. I hate to see Will Lutz get traded to the Broncos, uh, but it is what it is. You got to go out with the old and unhealthy, unfortunately, and with the new and healthy, proven training camp. You got to fight for your jobs. This is the NFL. You got to get out there and want it. You got to really want to be out here in this league, and I'm not saying that the guys that didn't get their jobs didn't, but we just have to keep it real. Michael Thomas said his body rejected surgeries. Is Michael Thomas making excuses for his injuries over the last few years? I don't necessarily believe so. But he said specifically, my body failed to respond to surgeries. We know he's played 10 regular season games over the last three years. In 2021, he repaired that torn deltoid and other ligaments in his left ankle after he was injured in the 2020 season opener. He also had to have surgery in 2022 after he dislocated his second right to, second toe on his right foot in the third game of the 2022 season. We know he tripped over Kamara in the season opener of 2021. We also know he hurt his hand. Um, Apparently his hand was broken, so he said, after he broke the catch record and extended out against the Titans. It's funny that we play the Titans coming into this game because I want to say that was the last time that Michael Thomas actually saw this team. But he said one of the issues with the surgeries was the way his body failed to respond to the hardware inserted to help him heal. Quote, I don't want to use this as an excuse, but also when you got surgeries and they put hardware in, sometimes your body rejects the hardware. Um, When asked if he meant his ankle, Thomas specified it happened twice, slowing down the healing process, both with his ankle and his deltoid. He said, your body responds and healed, uh, your body responds and healing responds to it. Whatever I guess is the 1%, I guess I'm in that category. He said he tried to rehab his ankle without surgery in the 2021 offseason, but he ultimately had surgery in June of 2021 when it did fail to respond. He did have that small setback, of course, and then ultimately was ruled out. For the season, they thought he was going to be able to come back from the toe injury, but turns out that he wasn't able to. And even Ronald Curry, who was the Saints quarterback coach, 
Um, Saints quarterback coach now, Ronald Curry, who was Michael Thomas's wide receivers coach from 2018 to 2020, described the response after the ankle injury as a stress reaction to the hardware. And I don't think Michael Thomas is bullshitting, right? I really don't. Um, of course, this is kind of seem ironic. Now he wants to say his body wasn't reacting well to surgeries when, like, realistically, um, you know, was it because of that? Because we didn't hear this when Drew Brees was in and you were still hurt or when Andy Dalton was in or when Taysom Hill was in or when Ian Book was in or when Trevor Simeon was in. And we've heard, you know, people say that, oh, M Michael Thomas just didn't want to play with anybody after his stint with Drew Brees. Michael Thomas didn't want to put up with that type of quarterback because he knew that it would have reduced his production and ultimately affected the type of game that he had being an elite receiver, being one of the best receivers in the league, being one of the best route runners, breaking the record for catches, right? Um, but, I mean, it's true. It is true. I, I know people personally in sports that have, you know, gotten surgeries their body hasn't reacted well to it. I know people in life that have gotten surgeries and their body hasn't reacted to it. I mean, gastric bypass surgery, you can literally pass away overnight right after the surgery happens, you know? Um, I hope Michael Thomas is telling the truth. I hope he comes back healthy because I did not fucking want us to re-sign him this year. I did not want that at all. I was pissed when I saw that we brought back Michael Thomas. But if he returns to what he needs to be, if he's getting in there a little well with Chris Olave and getting some targets from Derek Carr and getting Rashid Saheed on, you know, on, on, on some counterparts as well, I'm cool with that. Look, I want to root for Michael Thomas. I'm glad I didn't buy the jersey. <laughs> I bought that one when I was in New Orleans. I almost bought the Michael Thomas jersey. But personally, I just like Kamara better as a player. I just liked his play style better. It was nothing against MT. Um, but I hope he's telling the truth. I really do. I believe he is uh, because we know Michael M Michael Thomas, I hope, wants to be a saint for life. I hope he wants to continue to be with this organization. I hope that he really sees great things with this team. I hope he sees the way that we've rebuilt. I hope he sees the defense and how we kind of tried to get some offensive pieces going. But Michael Thomas says that his injuries are not all specifically on him. He had some surgeries. His body rejected the surgeries. And I know some people are going to say it's cap because we didn't hear it until Derek Carr's around, who was the Saints' best quarterback situation since Drew Brees has left. But only Michael Thomas will truly know. All he's going to say is his body failed to respond to surgeries. And Jake Hayner did get suspended, too. I actually didn't have this one on the lineup, but I wanted to include it in the Hudak corner because I uh, honestly just – I forgot about it, but then I remembered as I was getting ready for the show, I forgot to put it on there. So the Saints rookie quarterback, Jake Hayner, has been suspended without pay for violating, violating excuse me, the NFL's performance-enhancing drug policy the league announced it on Wednesday. He was a 2023 fourth-round pick out of Fresno State. He won't play in the first six games of the season. He's eligible to return to the Saints' active roster on October 16th. He'll forfeit $250,000 of his $750,000 base salary this year with the suspension. Of course, he came out. He said he learned that he tested positive for a substance banned by the NFL earlier this summer. I still do not know how the substance got into my body as none of my supplements or prescribed medications contained that ingredient. I would never knowingly cheat the game that I love. However, I must take full responsibility, responsibility for the failed test. I apologize to the Saints organization, my friends, and my family for any distraction this suspension may cause. I am disappointed to be away from the team for the coming weeks, but I will learn and grow from this experience, I look forward to returning to the team as soon as possible. He was at practice Wednesday before the league announced the suspension. He's, of course, the second player to get suspended. He'll serve three more games. Oh. Wow, that just hit me. Jake Hayner 
for PEDs is going to serve three more game suspension than Alvin Kamara did for beating the hell out of somebody. And it was on camera. I'm not condoning anything. I'm not. It just shows you how how wild the um how wild the league can really be. And you know, Jake Hayner, he was working at that third working as that third team quarterback for most of the summer behind Carr, behind Winston. He was listed as the fourth team quarterback at the beginning of week one after the Saints put Taysom Hill from tight end to quarterback on Monday. Maybe they saw something coming. Not necessarily sure. But we'll see how it plays out. I'm glad Jake Hayner took responsibility. Um, I haven't really looked in too much on him. I know he played pretty confident in that season opener, and he's been playing, you know, okay throughout some of the preseason games. Um, I, I wasn't really a fan of the pick, realistically, where we took him. I remember at the time when I was watching the draft, I would have liked other people to go, especially since we had Derek Carr. Uh, but it is what it is. Jake Hayner did get suspended. It is unfortunate for him because I don't want to, you know, see something of that caliber happen, especially to one of our players. But again, he's taking responsibility. He, you know, he would never cheat the game. He's got to got to take full responsibility for the test because ultimately the league came down on him. And I mean, you know, what else is he supposed to do? At the end of the day, you got to take the suspension and just roll with the punches. But let's get into the. Uh, let me make sure I'm on it correctly here. Saints Titans preview for Sunday. The Saints are hosting the Titans at home. Let me see that Saints-Titans line real fast. I think the Saints are favored by three. Yes, we are. The Saints are favored by three at home, opening the season. And and I love that. I absolutely love that. Have us favored in the first game. Like I said, originally when I... um, Originally, when I figured out Alvin Kamara was suspended for this game, I was like, damn, that could really make us drop that because I know he's a pivotal part of our offense. You know, I, I like I I know Kamara is a pivotal part of our offense. He, you know, does a lot for us in terms of the offensive side of the football. He's in a lot of packages and we're going to need his full disposal after coming off of a rough, rough season offensively last year. And that's one of the things that I really hope we get right. Right. You know, like we don't want to see that Saints offense continue to look like that over and over again. So originally I had this as a loss, but as the first game of the season, you already know I'm going to pick the Saints in a very winnable game at home. What I'm looking forward to the most from the Saints is how is the offensive line actually going to play out and the depth that it's going to have to undergo for a pretty decent, pretty good, excuse me, um, Tennessee Titans team. You know, they're good in the trenches. They're good on the defensive side of the ball. They know how to stop people on the defensive side of the football. And we need to protect Derek Carr in order to get that great superstar offense back because the reason breeze was able to run that offense so well was because he had time and he was able to deliver the football with his timing on just about every single snap. And when breeze got out of the pocket and had to be off script, it was ugly is very ugly. You did not see Drew Brees want to play that way. It's you did not want to see Drew Brees play that way, especially later on um, in the season. But Definitely going to look for that offensive line. I'm also going to look for Derek Carr, of course, to be very, uh, very poisoned in this game, like he looked in in the preseason. Hopefully, having the nice protection of the New Orleans Saints offensive line because it is going to be one of the not so good, one of the worst offensive lines we had in a while. No question about that. I'm prepared for the offensive line to be middle of the pack, or unfortunately, maybe even lower tier in the league. But we can't have it be that way if we want this Michael Thomas return, if we want this Derek Carr return, if we want this Chris Olave, Rashid Shahid package, if we want Jawan Johnson to be able to blow up and get these targets and get these yards. It has to start 
in the trenches. I'm also going to be uh, curious to see Jamal Williams against this defensive line. How is he actually going to be able to do meshing with our offensive line again, going up against that 10 C front seven, going up against that great coach and Mike Vrabel, who gets everything out of his players. Um, Kendra Miller. I wonder if what's his, uh, what's, what's Kendra's status. I did not look that up before the game. Saints issue clarification on rookie running back Kendra Miller status. Oh, okay. So he's got the door open for a week one debut. I haven't heard the latest on him, but I would really like to see Kendra Miller really, really like to see Kendra Miller actually um, get some nice touches, really see what he's able to do with the defense or excuse me, really what he's able to do with the offense. Uh, because we know we brought him in as a rookie. We want to see what he can do being next to Kamara, being, being next to Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams will probably be that feature back. Um, and it would be nice. Now, I know he scored 16 times last year, 15 times inside the five. So maybe that's where we save him for really get Kendra Miller those reps. But nonetheless, I'm going to be looking to see how, uh, of course, the running back room. And overall, I just want the entire offense to be able to mesh. Michael Thomas gets a few targets, hopefully, from Derek Carr, has enough time behind that offensive line. We still incorporate Chris Olave, some nice big plays for Shahid. Let's go ahead and start incorporating Jawan Johnson as that safety blanket again, as that security blanket for Derek Carr that he's used to having in Darren Waller. Like Drew Brees was a different animal, and like every quarterback is a different animal when they have a tight end. We remember the Jimmy Graham days, no question about that. I'm not too concerned with the defense. Well, excuse me, my only concern about the defense really is our defensive line. I need to see Brian Brissy step up. He needs to step the hell up. I need to see Isaiah Foskey step up next to a Cam Jordan because Cam's getting older. Cam's great. He got his extension. He got his deal. He's done a lot for us. He's legendary for the team, but he is getting older. He's getting older, and we see that he's going to need some help. That's why we go and get an Isaiah Foskey. That's why we go and get a Brian Brissy. And I wasn't upset with either of the picks. I would have probably rather had a Nolan Smith over a Brian Brissy because you could have put him on the line, maybe given some offensive, um, what's it called? Maybe given some, um, uh, what's it called, Lord? So, some linebacker presence as well. Because now when we go look at the linebackers, you know, we know Jalen Smith was cut. I super hate that. Uh, he did get, you know, thankfully put back on the uh, what's it called? He did thankfully get put back on the practice squad. And I think he'll get elevated, you know, before we know it. Uh, we have Pete Warner. Obviously, we have Demario Davis. I'm feeling OK with Kalen uh, Saunders, possibly. We still have Malcolm Roach. You know, we still have to know uh, Nathan Shepard, Carl Granderson. So, like, we've got some names that we've seen with this New Orleans Saints team. But the thing is, are they actually going to perform? Will they be able to perform? Because Derrick Henry's still there. Derrick Henry can still come out, and if the Saints' defensive line is lacking, Derrick Henry will make them pay for it. If the Saints aren't lining up correctly in the box, not showing enough people in the box, not being well enough in the trenches on that defensive side of the ball, it could very, very much so be something to look out for. I'm fine with Marcus May, Paulson Adebo, Marshawn Lattimore, Alante Taylor, Tyron Matthew. All of our guys are healthy. I love that. Not a biggest fan of Zach Bond. I think he was a bust. I think he was a whiff. Go ahead and get him off there. Put Jalen Smith back up. We know Jalen Smith is a pro. A dog, a pro bowler, a guy who makes tackles, a guy who makes plays for the Giants, for the Cowboys, won the Giants starting job, I want to say, as a free agent last year when they brought him in. So I'm looking for the trenches to be solid. I need protection for Derek Carr, and I need us to hold up and get pressure on Ryan Tannehill and stop Derek Henry. I want to see that nice offensive flow back. Jawan Johnson, Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Rashid Shahid. The running back room is going to be interesting to look at as well. I believe that Jamal Williams could be that featured guy, but we could give it up to Kendra and just keep Jamal for those third and short situations inside the red zone. Again, 16 scores last year, 15 of them 
inside the five. And ultimately, Derek Carr to return this team back to the offense. Not that it was, but just to make the offense feel alive again. You guys saw when I posted, that was my most, uh, that, that was my most favorite thing from the week one game against the Chiefs. The offense felt alive again. And Derek Carr, he's going to be playing with the best defense he's got. Hopefully, Dennis Allen has gotten his shit together and he's not going to have these awful play calls and mimic what Josh McDaniels possibly did because let's let's be real, Dennis Allen's last worst coaching job was with the Raiders and he had a little bit of toolage with Derek Carr. I don't want to see the same thing here. If it has to be like with Jameis Winston with A, you don't have to be Batman every play. Sometimes you just got to be Bruce Wayne. If that's what needs to be implemented with Derek Carr, which I've been getting hints that's kind of going to be the committee for him, kind of be the game plan, then this offense can be good, but it's got to start with the trenches, with the play calling of obviously Pete Carmichael. And I'm, I am giving him some slack for last year. I understand it's one of Peyton's first years gone and maybe it was all Peyton and no Pete Carmichael because we know Peyton called plays, but I've still got faith in Pete Carmichael. He's been with the team for over 15 years, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and just overall Dennis Allen to make some good overall judgment calls because we saw the horrible gaffes that he could have offensively and just overall as a coach last year. That was episode 38 of the NFL with AJL. What a packed show as football is back. Let's go ahead and get out of here. Got to fast forward that a little bit. That has been episode 38 of the NFL with AJL. I appreciate everybody tuning in to the show tonight as the NFL season is officially back. We're 156 days away from Super Bowl 58, but who's counting, right? Y'all make sure to like the stream. Subscribe to the show, please, wherever you're at. All podcast platforms, YouTube. Follow us on all social media platforms. But as always, you guys have been running it up on the social media for me. Like the stream and share it before you get out of here. If you're confused about where to find any of our content, my content, the NFL with AJL's content, the QR code right here in the corner of the screen, over the Breeze jersey, above the Camara jersey, scan that for every bit of social media and podcast content. Please make sure to leave us a review on podcast platforms. We discussed Nick Bosa and Joe Burrow getting their deals. We discussed the Lions upsetting the Chiefs. We just picked every week one game. We went in-depth about the Saints and the Titans, Caleb Williams, Chandler Jones, and so much more in between. Episode 39 will be coming on Tuesday. We'll have some more power rankings after the complete week one of the NFL is done. We'll be looking at the best games, maybe do some week one overreactions that everyone likes to do. Talking some college football, Texas at Alabama this weekend. We've also got Colorado and Nebraska. We got a lot of college football quarterback talent in here. As always, I love you. I need you. And I'll see you in episode 39.